0: we pray that you would receive these gifts of tithes and offerings lord may they be used to bring your loving kingdom now and to come in christ's holy name we pray amen our scripture this morning comes from mark chapter 12 i invite you to take your bibles if you will and turn with me To Mark chapter 12, beginning of verse 28. Mark chapter 12, beginning of verse 28. Where Mark writes... One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, meaning Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor As yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one, and besides Him there is no other. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any question. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When we hear this scripture, we go, oh, I know, I know that scripture. I, I know those verses. I, I know that. That's, I've heard that sermon before. Love God. Love your neighbor. I mean, those are the two great commandments. And the challenge, though, is, is that, that the second commandment has a qualifier that we often just kind of ride right over. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's an assumption that's being made there that we love ourselves. There's an assumption that's being made here that that we understand who we are as children of God and that we embrace that. We embrace our identity. But what what if I have a hard time loving myself? How do I handle this? Jesus is in Jerusalem. Pharisees, Sadducees, several other folks have been coming up trying to test Jesus. If you back up just a few verses, you'll see that they come up to Jesus and they try to ask Him, should we pay taxes? I mean, their goal there is not to get the answer. Their goal is, we're either going to get Him in trouble with the Roman government, or we're going to get Him in trouble with the zealots. But either way, we want to get Jesus in trouble. Or one of my favorite ones is is actually when the Sadducees come up to Jesus. The Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection at all, but they come up to Jesus and they go, "We we have a we have a question for you, Jesus. All right. Well, let's just suppose that there's this young lady and and she marries this guy, and before they can have children, he dies. Now, according to the law, if if they die before they had children, the woman can marry the man's brother, and when they have kids, it'll be credited to to the older brother or to the brother that died, right? Right. So let's just say that this woman marries this guy. He dies before they have kids, so she marries the other brother. He dies before they have kids, so she marries the other brother. My wife is so glad we don't really follow this scripture to the letter of the law. (laughs) That's why she gives me multivitamins and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, I've seen the pool... So let's just say then that, that she marries, you know, another brother and he dies, and another brother and he dies, and another brother and he dies till seven brothers are dead. And she gives up. In the resurrection, who's she gonna be married to? Any kind of funny because they don't they don't even believe in the resurrection. I'm surprised Jesus didn't go, it doesn't really matter. You don't believe in it, so you won't be there. The scribe happens to have heard them asking Jesus all of these questions, challenging him. Actually, the scripture said disputing with him. And that Jesus had answered the questions really well. So he was impressed and he comes up to Jesus himself and he says, so which commandment would you say is the greatest? There were 613 commandments and Jesus said, oh, the great commandment? He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 and he goes, it's the Shema." All the Hebrew people knew the Shema. The Shema means here because the first word is hear, O Israel. So it's the Hebrew word for here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. That's the great commandment. But then Jesus says, well, there's a second one now that's likened unto it. And, and he goes back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And, and there he says, now, the, the second commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe goes, wow, I'm impressed. I mean, you answered well. Because you're right. To love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. To love your neighbors, yourself. Well, that's more important than all the, the burnt offerings and sacrifices you could possibly make. And Jesus heard that and he goes, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that conversation, the testing was over. No one dared ask him another question. You're right. Loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we look at the context of that scripture and what Jesus is quoting there, to be honest and fair with the text, we have to acknowledge that that the scripture really is designed to be other-centered. It's designed to go, well, who is my neighbor? It's designed to to talk about how do you treat other people. That's the assumption of the scripture. Look at Leviticus 19. Verse 9, I know that was probably a scripture that that you were reading devotionally early this morning. I think I'll go to Leviticus, read some of the law early this morning. Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyards bare, or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard, You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely and you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until the morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin you shall not reprove your neighbor or you shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur the guilt yourself you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord so to put it in context, obviously the scripture here is, it is about how do we treat our neighbor, whether they're the poor, the alien, or the neighbor, whoever it is around us, how do we treat other people? And to be fair, in Luke chapter 10, When Jesus is asked this question by a lawyer who wanted to put him to the test, Jesus answered again, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives us the story of the Good Samaritan. The neighbor is one who helps another who's in need. Clearly, it's about helping others, how we treat others, loving others. But an assumption is being made, both in Leviticus and when Jesus quotes it again. And that is, yes, love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption is that we we love ourselves. The assumption is that that we've accepted who God has created us to be and, and, and that we're good with that. Now, Reinhold Niebuhr, the great theologian, shared that the original sin is self-interest or self-centeredness and pride and those kind of things. That's not what I'm talking about when I say love ourselves. We've all met people that the world centers around them. You know, we've met people where we go, you know, it's really their world. We just have the privilege of living in it. You, You know people like that. That's not what we're talking about here. The commandment is... Loving others as we love ourselves, but the the challenge is that we seem to either gravitate to to too much self love, where we're self centered, self focused, self absorbed, or we're self loathing. We just despise ourselves. We can't even see how we fit in this world anymore, and we struggle. I have a, a colleague and a friend that, you know, I care very much about, but I will be honest with you, you know, and I'm not going to share his name because one, this is recorded. But he's one of those people that when he walks in a room, you just feel all the oxygen gets sucked out. It's like there's a disturbance in the force. Those of you who laughed, you are not far from the kingdom. But I mean, he's a very gifted person, incredible talents, incredible ability, and a mind that is just unreal. I mean, his ability to remember things, to quote things, to share things. I mean, just one of the most gifted people, but comes across incredibly arrogant and can turn people off in a moment. But once you get to know him, once you hear the story, once you learn what it was like when he was a kid, once you learn how, because of his weight, he was treated when he was younger. Once you learn some of the pressures and things that were put on him, you, you begin to understand why he comes across like he does, because he's so desperately trying to prove, but that's not who I am somebody. I am somebody. And sometimes that, that effort to be able to prove who he really is, it, it, it's almost over the top. And begins to be a problem for those around them. You see, that's that's not what necessarily we're talking about. What we're how how do we get to see ourselves as God sees us? How do we how do we get to recognize that God loves us and we accept that love deep inside? One of the things I love about the plates and the chalice and the bowls and the pitchers that we have you know, here at the church as we get ready to come to this table is that, that they're all unique. I mean, they were, they were handmade and, and for the church, and, and they're all unique. Now, there's some others that are similar to it, but none are exactly like it because, well, they each have different kind of grains and different kind of textures and colors, and, and there's just something unique about each one of them. In my office, on my desk, I have a display Four ink pens. I know the people that made them for me expected me to actually use them <laughs> but but they're they're now priced i mean i you know it's like you know you can look at them, you can touch them. But they're unique. I love them because one of the things I love about wood is that, that they're unique. So somebody actually took a piece of wood, turned it, shaped it into an ink pen, and it, it's unique. I mean, there's, there may be others that are similar to it. There may be others that are made of the same kind of wood, maybe even the same kits that put it together. But the point of it is, is there's none that look exactly like that because God made the wood so unique that the grains are just not replicated. And we love things that are unique. We love things that that are that way. And yet, for some reason, as human beings, we struggle with the fact that God made us unique. That God gave us different textures, different grains, different shapes, and and that that's actually a good thing. We we so much want to be just like everybody else. And God's going, "I, I want you to be just like you. I made you one of a kind. But we're under so much pressure today. it's hard for us to to accept our identity, accept our being and and just to experience joy and our children. Our children are under so much pressure today i mean I, I just i wish I hope that we'll we'll pause and just kind of think about what some of our kids are actually going through, and maybe they'll talk about it. but the pressure's incredible now that you know, it used to be when I was a kid, and I am so glad that I grew up where I grew up and how I grew up, because I grew up out in the country, a little 1,400-square-foot, three-bedroom, one-bathroom house, you know, on an acre of land, and, and, and we thought we had what, I mean, we thought we did well, because everybody else around us was just like us. But, but what was really cool when I was growing up is you played football during the football season, and you played basketball during the basketball season, and during the summer you could actually be a kid. There's not much time to be a kid anymore. I mean, if you want to make the team, you don't only have to be in the season, but in the off-season and the camps and the camps of the camps and the trainings of the trainings and or you're not going to make it. And the, and the kids feel that. They know it. It's tough. And, and then what's interesting is, is when I was in school, you know, we wanted to do well in school. And, you know, I was in the top 10% of the class National Beta Club, National Honor Society, all those kind of things. You know, we felt pretty good about it. But boy, today, whew, the pressure from the valedictorian to the next one is just this much. It, it, it's unreal. I, I was talking to some youth yesterday who had taken the SATs early yesterday morning. They were going, Oh, I hope I never have to do that again. But they won't know until they get their scores back because the pressure if i want to go where i'm expected to go or where i want to go i have to and i believe fully that we should always do our best and seek excellence but the stress is pretty unreal think about this the suicide rate among kids kids age 10 10 are you with me we're not talking youth group yet Ten, age 10 to 24, has tripled since 1940. I know that's a long time, but tripled. Let me me put it this way. According to the Center for Disease Control, a nationwide survey of high school students in the United States of America found that 16% of students seriously considered suicide. Now, show up to the youth program this evening and look at the number of kids in the gym. And then go 16 out of every 100 of them. Seriously consider it. 13 out of every 100 of them actually develop the plan. And here's how I will do it. And 8% actually reported that they tried to take their own life within the last 12 months. 157,000 kids aged 10 to 24 were, treated, were cre- treated rather in the emergency departments across the United States for self-inflicted injuries in the last year. 157,000. Now what's interesting there is is that there's an assumption that's made in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. I I wonder if Jesus quoted it today if he would go, actually there's three commandments. Love the Lord your God with all you got. Love your neighbor, but love yourself. I mean it's implied in Leviticus and it's implied when Jesus quotes it because he says love your neighbor as yourself, but maybe we just need to boost that on up a little bit. Make sure you love yourself. We struggle with accepting ourselves and loving ourselves and our lives. It's not only kids, it's adults too. I mean, I talk to adults all the time that are stressed to the max. I mean, I have people come in and we'll, we'll have the conversation about how, you know, last year I met my numbers. You know what they did? They raised my numbers. And, and, and so I had to I work extra, and I did, you know, and you know what I did? I met my numbers. You know what happened? They raised my numbers again. And, and we keep raising my numbers and raising my numbers. That there will be a point of failure where I cannot do it. And we put our whole identity there I'll be a failure. I mean, I, re- I remember, you know, it used to be what providing for our families meant food, clothing, shelter, education. Today, it's what kind of food, what kind of clothing, what neighborhood is your shelter in, and which school are you headed to? I mean, it's it's a different world today. I mean, Nancy and I actually talked about it not long ago, about, okay, let's talk about what is the minimum that we could make and, and survive, and, you know, what, what would happen if we just kind of sold and sold everything? and went back down to that little, you know, that thousand square foot house and s- simplicity. Wouldn't it, would it be nice not to stress so much anymore? So how do we handle it? Well, we medicate ourselves. So We have an opioid epidemic that's everywhere. We have alcoholism that's rampant. 10% of us, 10% of Americans are alcoholics. 10%. And so and, and we struggle because we're trying to figure out how to cope with life. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, is this what God wanted for us? There was an assumption in the scriptures that we would love ourselves, but it's not the easiest thing. I often wrestle with my kids and go, why is it that you give other people so much power over your lives? What do you mean? Well, when I posted this, did you see that so-and-so said that? Really? And you care? I didn't even think you liked that person. I don't. Well, then why are you giving them that kind of power over your life? Or we post something and we go, did you know that nobody responded? Well, that's even worse. (laughs) I'd rather they made me mad by responding than to make me mad by not responding. I mean, it's amazing. Why do we give people so much power? We, We want so bad to be part of a group that we don't even like the people in the group. But if that's the end group, that's what I need to be in. Even if I really don't want to be in, why do we give others so much power when God is wanting to give us abundant life? Our identity is shaped there. And sometimes, sometimes it's because we, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Sometimes we can't love ourselves because there's some shame, there's some guilt. There's something that, that we've done. There's some secret in our lives that we're afraid is going to come out. And, and, and so we just, you know, we worry that we're constantly in a state of fear and stress. And yet God so loved you that he offered you forgiveness. We have sometimes a harder time forgiving ourselves than God does forgiving us. We just can't hardly accept it. So I want you to hear how, what God thinks of you. Psalm 139, verse 13. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how God sees you. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, all that you've established, what are human beings that you're mindful of them, mortals that you care for them, and yet you have made them just a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. That's how God sees you. Matthew, chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. That's how God sees you. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God. And that's who you are. Wow. That's how God sees you. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying. Before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. And while you were still in your mother's womb, before you were born, I consecrated you. That's how God sees us. How do we get to the point where we can see ourselves as God sees us? There was an assumption. Love God with all your being. Love your neighbor As yourself, there's a qualifier. How do we get to the point where we can love ourselves and see ourselves as as God sees us? I think there are three great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Not in the self-centered hubris way, but in the humble thanks be to God way. So we're getting ready to come to this table what does it really mean well it means that god so loves you by name that he offers you forgiveness and grace and being it means that that god so loves you by name that he gave his only begotten son that through his body and his blood you might receive his grace and forgiveness and everlasting life. It means that that God is testifying of his love for us. That Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you because in in my father's house there are so many rooms and I'm going to go get your room ready because I want you to live with me forever. Forever. That's how God sees you. You know, there's some things that we grow up learning that, you know, when we get older, we kind of think those are children's things. And one of the I think sometimes we throw away the good stuff. For example, there's, there's a song that I just dearly love, and we learn it as a kid, but it goes something like this Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible. Tells me so. Will you join with me in the great thanksgiving? The Lord be with you.